Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Geoffrey Hart. In this month's episode, we chat with Fern from Foraged by Fern. It is currently May of 2020. Uh, we are still in lockdown here in the UK. Uh, and so I'm going to try and get a couple of episodes out this week uh, to try and keep everyone entertained and spirits up. This month's episode is with Fern from Foraged by Fern. Uh, this episode, uh, maybe the next couple, probably sit slightly outside of the... Um, the built environment remit of the building sustainability podcast but uh these are these are more focused on the other meaning from their name uh and it's more about creating sustainability and with these next two in particular uh there's a theme of of getting outside and being in nature and actually by immersing ourselves in nature and getting to know it, knowing the name of plants, learning the properties, getting involved, touching, smelling, tasting, all of these parts of nature. And doing these things, uh, we're, we're actually able to care more about it. So, onto this episode specifically, we're speaking with Fern. Um, Fern is a passionate forager and loves everything it encompasses. The food history, folklore, anthropology, and the natural environment. I'm reading uh, her bio, by the way. She grew up foraging with her family on the South Downs, mainly for mushrooms. She now runs workshops and classes in Sussex. Fern aims to share the joy that foraging brings her and inspire and educate others to forage safely and sustainably. You can find her recipes virtual wild walks uh, and foraging tips uh, on her facebook and instagram which is at foraged by fern uh, and course dates and details on foragedbyfern.com this episode is a really fun chat i had a a really nice time meeting fern Um, she really knows her stuff i have been following fern on instagram for a while now and she has inspired me to get out to forage and to make so many things, uh, which is why I wanted to get her onto this podcast talking to you, because I hope that she does the same to you as well. So we talk a little bit about how she got into foraging and then how does it really uh, fit into her life. Uh, it's a nice uh, light-hearted chat uh, with lots of uh, really good info. Um, as I say, I hope that you're all inspired to get out and go and eat some weeds. I should say, before it begins, I have a little trouble naming the stinging aspect of a singing nettle. Uh, so um, look out for that. As always, if this is your first time listening, then do subscribe. Uh, there's lots of episodes encompassing all sorts of uh, aspects of sustainability uh, and and really great chats with interesting people. I'll be back at the end just to do a quick roundup. Enjoy the episode. (laughs) 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, my dad used to take us out mushroom hunting when we were right. kids. Um, and it was kind of such a special experience and such a lovely day out every time we did it. It just kind of woke something up in me that was like, this is a great thing to do. Um, yeah. And I just carried on from there, really. Like how how old were you when you first started? Probably the first time we went, I was around nine or ten. I think yeah. before that period, mum had always sort of tried to convince dad it was not a good idea that we go and try and <laughs> hunt down edible mushrooms. Um, but I think he managed to win her round eventually. Um, yeah, so we'd go, me and my dad and my brother, and he he has a really good idea about um, how to identify some mushrooms, but there was still quite a lot of learning to be done. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of really attacked it all together as a as a big challenge and we'd kind of go over the downs and pick one of each mushroom that we found and bring them home and spread them all out over the kitchen table and get our old books out and we'd right. all kind of ID them together. So it was, it was a really magical thing to do when we were kids and I, I just didn't want to stop doing it really. Nice. Do you, do you remember the the first thing you you foraged? Yeah, it was probably um a lemon belitus. So Ooh, <laughs> So um do you know what a sep or a penny bun is? Say that again. A sep or a penny bun is a type sorry, of mushroom. Sorry. No. No. That's, that's, <laughs> <on> me, <I'm laughs> that's all right. So they they're also known as porcinis. So they're okay. like a really popular kind of wild mushroom that like you might find in like in a French market or sometimes at the supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Um but it's a relative of the of the porcini and it's um bright yellow on the inside. But when you cut down the middle of the mushroom it uh, oxidizes so the yellow mushroom flesh kind of flushes blue oh, um, wow. and it's a really it's amazing to watch it happen and I think that was one of the first mushrooms that we picked that I really remember oh, yeah wonderful yeah I remember being taken on a walk I wonder if it's the same mushroom actually it was in the states so potentially mm. not 
but uh, you if you scored the the surface of the mushroom with your your fingernail yeah it, it you know left a, a sort of black mark inky mark oh okay uh, and you know people were were sort of carving out uh, uh sort of artwork oh yeah that might have been um a different mushroom called artist bracket and is it was it on the underside it was white and then you could sort of score it Ooh. and it went you can't remember that's that's, <laughs> that's a memory from testing Barra. your knowledge <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think i passed oh. uh, no all i remember is the magic color changing property oh yeah i think i think it's probably an artist bracket but they're these huge um bracket mushrooms that grow off the side of usually oaks and they're called artist bracket because when you you can almost draw into them with a stick and mm. they turn brown and as the mushroom dries it it preserves the picture but sometimes when you're walking through the woods especially if you're in an area where there's like a scout camp or something you can look underneath the mushrooms and the the scouts will have left like a little woodland message (laughs) it's really cute (laughs) Um, have you ever found any particular like bits of artwork that that you remember no i remember just once we were in uh, there's a there's a place called bushy wood um, and it's over near Lewis and uh, there's there's a big, I think that's kind of like the scout headquarters there. And we mm. were walking around there and saw a mushroom and we, for some reason I didn't take it off. I just was looking underneath to show someone what, what the underside was like. And um, I think it was just, it was like scouts forever or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so it wasn't like a Picasso. Oh or no, something. definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> So hopefully one day. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you said your your dad uh, was sort of teaching you. Well, had had the sort of. It sounds like a combination of your dad and books. Yeah. Um, But so where where did your dad's interest come from? Do you know? Um, I'm not sure really. He he's always been quite like naturey. He loves getting outside. Um, He's also really interested in kind of like shamanic practices and ancient medicines and so I think probably it stemmed from some kind of shamanic mushroom experience right. <laughs> which <Okay. laughs> I can, I'm only guessing that might not be but <laughs> I, I, I think probably that is where it came from and a lot of people that I speak to who are really into mushrooms sometimes you know they'll come in from that kind of They'll they'll get introduced from it from like the psychedelic mushrooms and then they'll be like, oh, God, actually all mushrooms are magic. And, you know, there's this whole world of edible and kind of mysterious fungi that um, kind of calls to them. So I think that's probably the angle that he came in from. Um, And then, yeah, he wanted to take us on the mushroom picking journey. (laughs) Oh, and totally changed your life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I did go on. Sculpted your life. Yeah, for sure. We still enjoy going now. It's it's really, it's just a lovely activity. And I think in England, we get really scared of of foraging for mushrooms. And obviously, Mm. which, you know, is is a great thing because it's... um, just denotes the fact that there there are a lot of really dangerous mushrooms out there but um once you kind of have an understanding for how to do it safely and the rules that you need to follow it's it's just a really beautiful kind of family activity i i have to admit i probably fall into the, the slightly too worried to to go for mushrooms like other thing up uh, you know plants and things i'm happy to forage but mushrooms yeah there's just 
don't know, maybe it's just bad press. <laughs> People. <laughs> <laughs> they do have bad press. It's definitely an English thing, though, because in, you know, Poland and even in France and um, Russia, they're, they're really keen on mushroom hunting. Yeah. And, you know, they'll just send their kids out and get them to pick some wild mushrooms. But I do think, um, yeah, we have a bit of a national mushroom fear. Mm. Well, let's <laughs> see if we can change that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> um, so what is it uh, about foraging that you love so much well I think it's just I've always been a real foodie Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm really interested in food and where it comes from and how to make sort of delicious ingredients and kind of slow food has been a real passion of mine you know making something from scratch and making the pastry and it really being a journey to to get to the dinner table Mm -hmm. um and I think foraging just really adds another element onto that you know you're really you're you're going out into the field with an empty basket and you're picking these plants and you're really you're seeing the whole journey through from the fields all the way to to your dinner mm-hmm. plate and um I ju- it's just something about the journey and and what you can make and the uniqueness of the food and the ingredients that I just yeah I just love it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm uh, I'm very excited to. Uh, I think once we've once we're done on this call, I'm going to head out and collect some mm. nettles. I'm uh, excited. Yes, you definitely the, the, should. The nettle pasta that you. Uh, oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Did that look yeah. good? <laughs> yeah, that was a good dinner. It was a good dinner. Um, but yeah, again, super slow food. Like I, I, I can't say I make my own pasta every time I have pasta, but <laughs> when you've got. When you've got a whole day, it's it's a really nice thing Perfect to do. lockdown activity. Oh, exactly. I've had so much time to experiment with random recipes. It's been great. <laughs> I think that's another thing about foraging that I love as well, is you can't just Google, you can't just Google all the ingredients and there's not going to be, you know, hundreds of recipes for something like fireweed or um, ground ivy or mm-hmm. common vetch you you have to experiment and you're kind of really left to your own devices to 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 make something nice or maybe something horrible in some <laughs> cases <laughs> uh, what what sort of uh well describe when you when you're eating normally you know what mm, what sort of yeah. proportion of food is is foraged and what is bought and what is maybe grown or oh so i think it's probably it's probably around 50% bought just from the shops. Mm. Um, I do, I try and keep things local as much as I can. We have a nice man down the road that gives us eggs. Nice. Um, and then I probably grow another 25%, which has only been a recent development because mm-hmm. I think when you're a forager, you can really fall into the trap of like, why would I spend months trying to grow a vegetable? They're all already out there and they're ready. Um, but obviously there are things you can't get like tomatoes and cucumbers. Mm-hmm. And um, so probably, yeah, 25% is grown and then another 25% is foraged. Um, and then that again, obviously really fluctuates with what time of year it is. Mm-hmm. So in the last couple of years, I've really been getting into sort of preserves and pickles and methods of um, drying and 
keeping those different foods so they can last into the winter, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, really interesting because you get a really good insight into how hard it would have been for kind of ancient hunter-gatherers to survive on a completely foraged diet. Um, through, through those winter months? Oh, they would have been hard. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been tricky. That's funny because we've got this sort of idea that we fatten up over winter. Uh, mm. And I... I assume that must be sort of the other way around if you're a hunter-gatherer. You'd probably be just trying to be fat going into winter so you could survive. Yeah, definitely. So we have a real kind of um, like glut of wild foods in the spring mm. and then it, it comes down for the summer and then in autumn again you get all your really fatty kind of nuts and your berries which are really high in vitamins. So I think you probably would have just spent the entire autumn trying to... <laughs> you know, squirrel away as many nuts as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah, but I do I do think winter would have been hard. But um, yeah, it's definitely, foraging's definitely also introduced me to kind of, you know, chat to lots of kind of survivalist types mm-hmm. who do the whole kind of like foraging and wilderness challenges and things like that. What, so, what sort of think, challenges are they doing? Oh, well, I have a friend, the most recent one I've heard was... I think it's a a one month challenge where you go into the Scottish wilderness and you're only allowed to bring a knife. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, clothes? Are you allowed clothes? Yeah, you can have the clothes okay. that you are wearing. <laughs> Not just but, a knife. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. You can make your own clothes once you're in there. <laughs> yeah, you might get arrested for that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be a tough uh, tough first few days but... yeah definitely tough and embarrassing <laughs> um so I'm, I'm intrigued can you um do you have a, a normal sort of forage routine uh or is it very i guess it's very much uh season dependent yeah it is quite season dependent so you kind of have a rough idea once you start getting to know what's growing in your area and when it comes up. You have a rough idea of of what you can get when you're out. So there's always kind of fresh greens um, all through the year. But then say if it's autumn, you're going to want to be like collecting seeds. And that's when you kind of stock up your, your herb cupboard for your wild spices to flavour things through the year. Um, but as far as a kind of day-to-day routine goes, it'll just be, yeah, grab a basket out the door and try not to pick as many things as possible. (laughs) So I try and keep (laughs) it to like, (laughs) because otherwise you can get carried away and pick everything that you find. And you know that, um, the... You know, Ready, Steady, Cook, do you remember that programme? When they have the surprise round at the end right, and they throw yeah. out a bag and they've got random ingredients and the chef has to kind of try and make something, mm-hmm. you can really run the risk of like throwing down your foraging basket and just having completely non-matching ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I just, yeah, try and stick it's to really a few. Like, uh, it, it's it's really like, you know, going shopping for your, your ingredients. You know, you want picking yeah, out the things definitely. for that meal yeah exactly and you have to kind of have a think about what you're going to make at the end of it and so yeah start planning as you're as you're walking through the fields nice so can you describe uh just sort of tell us a story of how you like maybe where you go like things you take with you people animals uh like what's what's your yeah 
So at my my current routine as we're in lockdown is uh, I live with my best friend Chelsea. So Chelsea, I grab Chelsea, who is always up for a walk, which is good. Um, <laughs> I usually, when I'm not in lockdown, have my dog, Timber, who is um, a very lovely and very unhelpful Labrador. Um, <laughs> but he's been, <laughs> he's been keeping my mum company during lockdown because she's on her own. So right. I thought, you know, she better have have she better have a nice nice comforting happy dog with her that's very um, sharing of <laughs> well he's very lovely <laughs> <laughs> um so at the moment what we're doing is we're kind of walking for about half an hour up to the south downs so we're really mm-hmm. lucky to be really close to them and we tend to just sort of wander wander for about an hour and then sort of see what's around or um see what's kind of um abundant really Mm -hmm. um and then we'll take a good amount of that and then have a chat about what what we're going to do with it and then we'll go and pick sort of herbs that might um go with the dish or maybe some wild flowers that we can make a little dessert or a pudding with um and then we'll kind of wander back past the little shop and get anything else that we might need to go in the dish and then Chelsea has to wait very patiently while I film and take photos of absolutely everything (laughs) (laughs) so I can share it (laughs) Um, on social media and then eventually we get to um, sit down and have some dinner. (laughs) Finally the last bit. Finally yeah (laughs) sometimes it takes a whole day. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do much grazing along the way? Little, oh yeah, li- definitely. Yeah, yeah. So we've got sort of our favourite little snacks. So one that we're always really happy to find is sorrel. Is I that, don't know is if that the really appley one? one? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So you've got wood sorrel, which tastes really strongly of apples, and then you've got common sorrel, which is sort of really like lemons. Mm. And they're just such a citrusy burst. It's kind of, and you know, when you're walking, you're always a bit thirsty. So they're just kind of like a perfect walking snack. <laughs> just keep you going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then what's, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what would be your favourite thing to forage, to gather? I know we've already talked about them but it's just definitely nettles and the more the more I forage and as many wild mushrooms and kind of tree saps and resins and exciting things we find I just I think nettles will just always be the best they've got I think they've just got a special place because they're so nostalgic and they're so abundant and you know, you're never going to go anywhere and not find nettles. Mm. And there's so many things you can do. Like we've made like nettle samosas, nettle pasta. We we made, um, you can use them for like natural crafts as well. So we read a paper recently about how one of the most primitive um, fishing nets they'd ever found was made of nettle fibre. Right. So we were like, right, we've got to give that a go. <laughs> so we made so we made some like nettle fibres and um, tried to do a bit of kind of weaving with it. Uh, you can make like dye, like clothes dye as well. And, you know, it comes out with this really beautiful, nice green colour. And I think they at some point used it in the war when they ran out of... Um, dye that was like chemical dye that was Mm -hmm. being shipped over they that was used at some point in history so I think we just yeah we love it as a plant because it's there's so much history attached to it and there's so much to learn about it yeah and it's also one of 
the most nutritious plants you have access to whether you're in the hedgerow or the supermarket yeah um it kind of tops spinach on loads of different vitamins and yeah it's just it's great it's a great plant (laughs) (laughs) i love that it's uh it's so common and it's so you know everyone knows like stinging nettle patches and yeah they probably it's a bit of a pest to to a lot of people uh Mm. but actually you know they've they've got so much of the things they need as a, a human being there yeah uh, just needing to to get past the the spiky bits <laughs> Prickly, <laughs> yeah not spiky <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is the only trouble with stinging nettles <laughs> <laughs> do you and this is this is a purely selfish question because i'm uh, yeah. obviously about to go and get some nettles what's your what's your <laughs> no sting technique so i just wear gardening gloves but they have to have the rubber palms Mm -hmm. you know the ones that are dipped yeah because if you try and use normal gardening gloves they'll just they'll go right through but failing that you can always use um rubber washing up gloves and you will look crazy but i'm fine with that why not (laughs) (laughs) okay good (laughs) i was picking uh dandelions the other day and uh Mm. and i was making uh wine for them in fact i got my there you go. That's my wine mm. in the background. Oh, nice. And you need a lot of dandelions. And so I yeah, was... Yeah, and the boring picking Yes. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the amount of people that were walking past, because I was just picking by the river, and just mm. people like... Yeah, the, the the sort of strange looks of what on earth is he doing with all of those? Oh yeah, people think you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a role that you're you're fulfilling? The sort of crazy uh, crazy forager lady? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I can. <laughs> so many weird looks, and especially when you're so when you're sort of out over the downs and you have a basket, that's one thing. But when you're kind of you've woken up in the morning and you you did a bit of yoga, so you've got your gym stuff on, and and you've taken off your hat or your shoe because you found some great berries that you don't want to miss <laughs> you're collecting them to get home that's that's when it really oh, that's hits an home how weird you that. are <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant um so a, a question uh, i guess a broader question um mm. about uh, foraging in general i mean what mm. what makes it foraging does it have to be wild can it have been planted uh, for me i i really think that foraging is more the action of going out and picking your own produce mm-hmm. and i i also i really think there's a fine line between foraging and gardening and oh i mean obviously if you're a gardener you've done a lot more work that is not to say <laughs> that they're the same thing but um you know it's just it's just the process of of getting your basket or your truck and going out and and really making a connection with nature and with those plants and mm-hmm. picking them and taking them home. And, you know, foraging wild foods obviously has um, a great kind of added element of you're learning about quite unique um, plants that not a lot of other people know about. And also they're kind of, they're lost plants that our ancestors would have eaten and they would have been really familiar flavours um, that have, for whatever reason, kind of fallen out of fashion or mm. not been the plant to um, have been domesticated and and grown into something that's more, um, you know, juicy or sweet or less bitter or... So, you know, it is really like a little a little step back in history 
to go and kind of rediscover all the wild foods that are just out on the downs but yeah again whether you're whether you're on the downs or you're in the garden I still feel like the that kind of core element of of foraging is is there Mm -hmm. we've spoken about mushrooms uh, and nettles Uh, Mm -hmm. what what other sorts of uh, foods can you can you forage Um, so you've got yeah mushrooms and then obviously your wild greens so nettles and wild garlic and three-cornered leek um and a lot of that kind of as well as you start exploring wild greens you find out that really wild greens is just another word for weeds right (laughs) (laughs) so you know just lots of weeds and um things that really grow in abundance and you can find all down english hedgerows and in alleyways and probably in the weedy bits of your back garden mm-hmm. um and then you've also got wild flowers which are one of my absolute favorites so they just make kind of really pretty beautiful foods and plants that people don't necessarily know are edible so i think a lot of people have lilacs in their garden mm-hmm. and they'll comment on how wonderful they smell but not realize that they can be eaten as well right you could taste that smell yeah exactly put it on a cake (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was definitely surprised uh, from following your instagram about uh daisies and uh dandelions i've yeah those are things uh that i've been walking past my whole life and now now i'm stopping to have a little nibble (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny did you try a daisy yes what did you think? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to like convert your brain to this is a daisy to this is some food, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm. it, it, yeah, it is a complete sort of rewiring. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But they are, you know, they're really great just to sort of throw on a salad. And I think, yeah, just things like that and things plants that we do have such a connection with when we're kids you know like we used to make daisy chains constantly but we never would have thought that they were food and it might be that you try one and you're like oh no I don't really (laughs) that's not really for me yeah but just the fact that you know that you know how how much food there is around us that we don't even know yeah is food is is pretty incredible there's an abundance as well as I realized picking uh dandelions it's (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah what is your favorite time of year do you think to forage oh i don't know i mean i think it's it's a real toss-up between spring and autumn because they're so different Mm -hmm. um i think it's got to be spring really just because there are so there's so much and it's all so vibrant and so fresh and you you get a real sense of um how much energy is kind of you know flourishing mm-hmm. out in out in the wild because you know in the winter all of the plants energies get taken down and stored into the roots and it's all very still and very um you know calm and not much food around and then suddenly in the spring you get this huge rush of of food and freshness and you know you can really see why maybe you know people in history or pagan people would have celebrated that Mm -hmm. time because it is so it's so joyful and those flavors that come back into your life and you know the other thing with foraging that you don't get with just buying food from the supermarket is you you have to wait 
if you've got a favourite food and it comes out in April or May, you have to wait till April or May. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. They're not cultivated plants and there are ways of preserving them, but they're never going to taste the same as when they do. And I think that's why things like wild garlic have become so popular is, you know, there, there's only one time in the year that you can get them and they come up and they're going to go soon and how many recipes can you make with wild garlic mm -hmm. and you know how many people can you try and give your wild nettle soup to and <laughs> see how great they think it tastes um so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go with spring i think nice you you've just <laughs> reminded me of a, a story my friend was telling the other day that mm. uh she collects wild garlic in in bristol and there's yeah. a little gap, uh, I think it's a, a railing that you have to sort of put your arm through to, to collect it. It's just on the other oh, side. Oh, okay. And she yeah. said, as the as the sort of season goes on and the, the wild garlic sort of finishing, the the garlic that you can reach through this railing gets oh. further and further back as, oh, everyone, no. as everyone's come through and gathered their little bit. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Desperately reaching for the last bits of wild garlic. Yeah, the people with the longest arms are the, the happiest oh, later they're on. they're the people you want to be friends with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, we, we've spoken about poisonous... Uh, mushrooms sorry i forgot what i was mm -hmm. talking about then um have you yeah. ever have you ever done yourself a mischief picking the wrong thing we'll be back after a quick break hey there i'm mick from the mick and pat show that's right and i'm pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends well you're in luck we're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary discuss culture and politics and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews but it's not just about us we're a community our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. No, I haven't. There's been, I'm a very cautious forager, um, and I personally recommend that you would also be <laughs> a cautious forager. And I... I'm not one to sort of try things or be like, oh, let's just test it because, you know, there are really dangerous plants and, and well, one, I wouldn't have a business anymore because they'd be like, oh, that forager that got really <laughs> sick of that mushroom. Yeah, let's not go on one of her courses. <laughs> but also I just, um, you know, it's it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, and, but my dad is not a very cautious forager and he actually came along to one of my courses once and I I had to keep following him around making sure he wasn't talking to people because he was saying to someone look if you don't know what it is just put it in your mouth if your mouth swells up it's poison spit it out if not it's fine and I was like no no sorry don't listen to this man <laughs> so he's um so I think he has he has been a bit ill once or twice. Yeah. Um I think yeah I've I've been around once and his lips were a bit swollen and I think he was probably like did his test of nibbling something to see if it was poisonous and it was in fact poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting uh test. Yeah, wait mm. wait until your mouth has gone uh, swollen. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it from more than one people, well, more than one person as well. I think that 
there there are definitely the more adventurous kinds of of forager mm-hmm. the live fast die young uh, forager <laughs> exactly <types>. but <laughs> that that would have you know we would have needed those people back in the day they would have been the ones that were risking their lives to make sure that we knew what we could eat yeah before books just the nibble test exactly yeah (laughs) those people are still going strong (laughs) some of them yeah (laughs) less probably um so uh how how do you recommend then that people stay safe like what's the what's how is the the safe practice of foraging um well i mean personally i would say that there's a lot of learning to be done before you start foraging because Mm -hmm. Um, you really want to be able to look at a plant and have as much certainty that you would uh, that it's a blackberry or that it's a nettle. You don't want to have any doubt in your mind that you haven't got the the right plant. Um, but also saying that there are plants that you can start with that uh, there's a lot less risk. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of beginner friendly plants that don't have any kind of poisonous or toxic lookalikes. Um, so it's sort of really good to start with those ones and then kind of build up your foraging knowledge as you go. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd recommend to do that will help you stay safe sounds horrible and dramatic, but it's learn the plants that can kill you. Aha, learn your enemies. Because Exactly, know your enemies well. Um, because obviously if you have, a, if you have the the deadly plants that grow in England in your head and you can recognise them and spot them, then you might get sick if, you know, you eat something that isn't edible, but you know the ones that are going to kill you, Mm -hmm. which is is really, really important. Um, But other than that, I think just take your time learning things, be cautious. I really recommend um, going on courses. There are amazing foragers all over the UK that can take you out and run public foraging courses. And while it's really great to have books, it will it will take you a really long time because there's our brain isn't wired to look at a picture and then go and find the plant. Mm-hmm. Our brain is wired to see it in real life and be shown it and touch it and smell it. Um, and also, if you go out with a forager, you're going to you're going to have a better memory and a better understanding of that plant because you'll also have a story mm-hmm. you, and that's how our brains work we, you know I went out with this forager we went here and he fell over and then she found this plant <laughs> and then that you know that's how we we lock information in yeah. in stories so I think um it's really important to go on those kind of uh courses with with um kind of expert foragers and then get your books and and take take your time and and just make sure that you can really safely and and positively identify plants that you're going to eat and um i've heard that uh some people when they're eating a thing for the first time it maybe might like upset their stomach because it's not a not a i don't know is it a flavor or a a, just a, a thing that they're used to yeah that can be um that can be the case with with some people and some wild foods and mm-hmm. the reason for that is <clears throat> whereas the food in the supermarket is is grown for consumption the food in the, our wild food in the hedgerows isn't you know it hasn't been um modified or d- grown to be um 
minimal in certain toxins or um, accessible to the majority of the population, which other food in the supermarkets have been. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're trying a new food, you don't want to make a huge amount of it. Um, you know, just give it a nibble first and just give yourself a couple of hours to see if you have a reaction. So it's not overly likely and the reaction that you have won't be um, a, a kind of deadly reaction. Uh-huh. But it might be that you have a stomach upset. It might be that you get a rash or, you know, but it is a case of just giving it a little nibble and not cooking yourself an entire sorrel soup if you've never had sorrel before. <laughs> and and if, if you do have a reaction, does that mean that food is is then out or uh, can you sort of build up a tolerance or? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible to build up a tolerance, whether you whether you want to or mm. not is is probably. Um, the question that there, there are a huge amount of wild foods and maybe if you absolutely love the taste um you might you might want to try and build up a tolerance but in general i think it's probably your body's way of saying i'm not a big fan of this shall we try something else <laughs> yeah well it sounds like there's a, a whole load more things to try so exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> um just going back a little bit um you were talking about uh being sure you know definitely certain that you were p- picking the right thing uh mm. the other week i was out uh looking for cherry blossom i'd seen okay, seen yeah. your cherry blossom jam recipe and nice. and the cherry tree that i knew that was that had lots of blossom uh was completely empty by the time i got there and so oh, i went, no. <laughs> went for a bit of a walk and like i cherry tree cherry is my favorite wood to carve uh, yeah. like I'm really I know the I know the bark I know I know mm. what it is as a tree I know the leaf mm. shape I, yeah I'm confident in it but as soon yeah. as I suddenly started thinking I'm going to eat this <laughs> uh yeah I was looking I think it might have been a bird cherry or a pin cherry or something with mm. slightly different flowers to how I was expecting and mm. uh yeah suddenly I was in a world of like oh god is this the right thing oh my god <laughs> yeah um, i luckily I, I went for a walk into the park and uh and mm. found a big big you know as i was expecting cherry tree with loads of blossom so it was, yeah it was perfect I just, but that's just, good that's your natural survivor kicking in oh, thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is it is hard and you do doubt yourself a lot but i think you just there's there's never any rush or any need mm. to pick that thing that you're not sure of and it's it's always better to just wait until you know you're a hundred percent. So yeah. it is it is really a test of patience as well and a you know, it's a mindfulness practice really, especially when you're just learning, because there can be some really frustrating moments where you're like, Oh, I just want to eat it and see. <laughs> it looks delicious. Surely it'll be delicious. Yeah. Exactly. So you've talked about foraging uh, on the downs. Have you? Mm. Do you ever uh, forage in, in cities or towns or more built-up areas? Yeah. So um, quite a lot of the foraging I do will just be where I am in in my little town. Kind of, I'm quite often knocking on neighbours' doors <laughs> and being like, "Can I take some of this? Or can I have some of that, please?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a lot of garden plants that are edible and, and amazing. Um, and I do think people are generally just really happy to know that that magnolia tree or mm. their cherry blossom or something is edible. And I tend to, yeah, I just, just ask people and then 
bring them a little bit of something back when when it's been made um so i think that's kind of the way to go in towns in cities as well i did i did a little urban foraging course in london and there are always green spaces in a city in a town and they are always full of wild edibles Mm -hmm. and quite often people will ask me oh can you can you come along and do a little event here or could you do a wild thing here and they'll say oh but to be honest I'm really not sure how much there's gonna be you might struggle and it's really it's never a struggle Mm -hmm. there's always edible weeds and things that you just walk past and wouldn't even consider as food that are actually a really nutritious, amazing source of food with a great story about, you know, how our ancestors would have used them. Uh-huh. Uh, great. I like that. I like that a lot, the, the sort of linking back to our heritage. Uh, mm. I, yeah, that's nice. I think especially in, in today's sort of technology-ridden, uh, you know, very complicated times, uh, yeah to to look back and be to be linked to that is is a really nice thing yeah it is lovely it adds um it adds another element to your i don't know yeah to your foraging journey and to when you're eating it to think about how other people have used it in the past mm-hmm. and and where it's come from and how it made its way to england or yeah it's it's really interesting yeah um so you talked a little bit about uh sort of knocking on people's doors uh to to you know pick some things from their garden but what's mm. what's the legality uh of uh yeah picking things when you're out and about maybe if you're in a, a field somewhere or so we've got a common um common access law to the four f's which are fruit flowers fungi and foliage Mm -hmm. um so the only thing that doesn't include is sort of like roots like you're not allowed to uproot anything or um it doesn't include any tree saps or resin so you're not allowed to kind of create uh any damage or holes in the trees or anything like that Mm -hmm. um but yeah that that common law is kind of set in in history and we're really lucky to have it because they don't they don't have a law like that in quite a few different european countries so you are allowed to go and pick flowers and um pick wild garlic or nettles or mushrooms mm-hmm. um in any uh on on any land so like council land is fine um it it does cover sort of national trust land as well but then any kind of national trust land or any private areas might have their own rules that kind of negate that common law Mm. um and that's also the case kind of on private land so if you're on private land and you're asked to leave obviously you can't try and trump card them with your (laughs) (laughs) with your laura four f's um but yeah we are lucky in england to have um to be sort of covered by that law Mm. and kind of be able to freely forage in in lots of different areas Ah. That's good. I um I was once uh doing some work up on uh the Duchy farm, so uh Prince Charles's okay. uh farmland. I was in a little uh wood yard just outside and mm. I went and picked a load of uh sloes oh, and nice. uh I felt I felt a little bit naughty, like <laughs> stealing stealing Prince Charles's sloes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be pretty proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> What should people be aware of uh, in terms of places that they shouldn't uh, forage? Uh, I'm thinking sort of like pollution and, and things like that. 
Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so basically it's just best to be um, kind of just a, a good distance from kind of main road, so you wouldn't want to pick anything from the side of a main road. Mm. Um, but again, it's 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 really a matter of personal choice. Some people are really happy to pick fruit and veg from nearly anywhere and just give it a good wash when they get home. Mm -hmm. um, some people will soak things in salt water and they're absolutely sure that that gets rid of any pollution, any dog, you know, I'm sure people consume so much dogweed when they start foraging. <laughs> it's, you know, some people mine, some people don't. <laughs> um, so it is, I'd say, obviously where there's areas that are just it's just common sense not to forage so next to main roads or something like that but I really, I really think it's a matter of personal opinion and you can you know wash your veg in in salt water and if you're not foraging every day and having huge quantities of these things it's probably not much worse than the chemical sprays that they put mm. on farm crops um but obviously if you can go out and forage in an area where you know there's very little pollution, then that's that's going to be better. Yeah. Any any other factors to be to be wary of? Um, I think really it's less about where. I think you can you can pretty safely forage anywhere, and you can pretty safely um, go and pick veg anywhere. But it's more about being aware of that plant. So some plants, for example, like watercress, will really absorb all of the um, like microbacterias and stuff in the water. Okay. And they'll also pick up any like farm runoff, um, which is obviously really high in kind of like chemicals and toxins. So it's more about the plant, how absorbent it is, how much pollution it kind of picks up and, and draws in and holds. Because the majority of plants, they will pick up some of the toxins in the soil but in general you could give them a wash and they'd be okay um but it's it's knowing the plants that kind of really draw in any impurities and things like that um right. and also just knowing the plants is really good not just for kind of pollution matters but also you need to really get to know it anyway to make sure that it, it is an abundant plant and you haven't just kind of randomly come across kind of a rare patch of this. Or mm. So about knowing kind of how common or rare that plant is. So, you know, before, yeah, before you pick anything, it is really good to, even if you've seen a post on Instagram about like, oh, this is edible, before you just sort of go, okay, we can eat this, let's go and eat it, to really do a bit of research yourself and try mm. and get as much information on that plant as possible. Because although Instagram is so great and there's so much information on there, there's only so many words you can put in and there's only so many facts that are optimal for a post. Yeah. You can't put in every single disclaimer and every single, you know, lots of herbs shouldn't be eaten by pregnant women or maybe if you're taking medicine for your liver, this particular herb might not be very good for you. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's more of a case of really, really researching every single plant before you introduce it into your, into your diet. Yeah. And what's... Um... What are some good sources? Are there some good books that you recommend? Yeah, so um, I've got a couple of books I always recommend for beginners. So one is Hedgerow by John Wright. Nice. So John Wright that. is amazing. Uh, do, you, do you like it? I do, yeah. I like he, He's a very <laughs> funny writer as well. I like Yeah, it. he's good. <laughs> he like pulls you in on his story, doesn't yeah. he? 
Um, so he's really good. And one of the things I like about his books is he'll always give you a little section on things that it might look like, mm -hmm. which is obviously really important because especially if you've only seen a picture, you might pick something up and be like, oh, this is this, you know, but there are plants that can look really similar and maybe only have some really small features that set them apart from their poisonous kind of lookalikes. Um, and other than that, I think there's kind of a, a, a rule of three um, where people say you should you should check with three different sources. So you should check you've got a positive ID in your book. You should go online. You should you should look at a website. So Eat Weeds by Robin Harford, that's a really good resource as well um, if you want to do some research online about wild plants. Um, and then, you know, maybe text it to someone you know who's into foraging to get a kind of third opinion. Oh, another thing that's really mm -hmm. good as well is there are loads of Facebook ID groups and they they're just brilliant because you'll get probably six or seven responses from people really mm -hmm. quickly you get an overall consensus from you know the group and it's almost like there are just you know plant iding experts <laughs> sat at their computer waiting to id your plants at your beck and call exactly it's a brilliant it's brilliant <laughs> have you um uh, ever used those uh, plant id apps I've, I've only ever yeah. seen them advertised. I've never actually tried them. I, I personally, I, I haven't used all of them, so I don't know, but I, I personally don't recommend them. Um, I've had a lot of messages from people sort of saying, oh, my plant ID app says this or my plant ID app says that. The last time I used one was about two years ago. And it's they can be good to set you in the right direction or to give you an idea of what you've got. But... Um, in general, I think they're definitely, definitely not a reliable source if you're mm -hmm. going to eat something. So, but people on Facebook are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing with people on Facebook is you might get a couple of people who don't know, but you'll have, you'll have a consensus and there'll be admins on the group who will be like, we can confirm this. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's why you need your three sources and not just one. Because if you were going to use one source for anything, it's, it's not enough to go on. Definitely. Very smart advice. But yes, don't always trust the people on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> for, for many different things. <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> uh, one of the things I found uh, quite tricky when picking uh, my cherry blossom was that uh, I just wanted to get so much of it. I was. Mm. A, a little bit of greed sort of came over me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm slightly ashamed to say, but I, I definitely uh, sort of noticed that feeling. Um, mm. it feels like, uh, if I take all the cherry blossom, there won't be any cherries, uh, mm -hmm. and there's, you know, what, what other uh, sort of consequences and, and how do we, how, how's sort of the ethical, uh, forager? So there are a few kind of hard and fast rules to stick to. Um, obviously don't take more than you need. Um, in general, <laughs> try and i i personally think that foraging is best when it's just done on an individual basis mm -hmm. i think you kind of might start reaching problems when you start looking at like commercial foraging so just just take what you need foraging you know you you don't need kind of 30 jars of cherry blossom jam it's it, i really feel like 
they're so special and so unique they're they're almost tokens mm-hmm. you know you're not going to have cherry blossom on jam on toast cherry blossom jam on toast every morning for breakfast you're going to have it on a cake once in a while when someone special comes over because it's something really unique and lovely and it's taken you a long time to make um so i think yeah sort of seeing forage food in your diet as more more of a kind of like a novelty rather mm-hmm. than and especially with things like cherry blossom i mean things like nettles you can have them every day, you know every day for breakfast if you want to um and again i think that goes back to really knowing the individual plant and with the cherry blossom obviously if you pick the whole bits of cherry blossom you you won't have cherries left and and that is an important food resource for the birds but you know what you can do if you are worried is you can just pick off the petals and you can leave the center of the flower and then it will still develop into a cherry um so just having those little facts in your back pocket that are like okay well this is a way i can do i can harvest this plant in a more sustainable way um and then if everyone uh suddenly tomorrow went out and foraged yeah Mm. that doesn't seem like uh uh it would be such a good idea in terms of sort of what's left for for all the other creatures yeah i yeah i definitely agree if we all started doing it tomorrow it wouldn't it wouldn't be sustainable (laughs) but i mean there's so if we all went out and bought bananas tomorrow there'd be no more bananas you know it and i i think hopefully (laughs) everyone everyone won't suddenly make the decision that they want to forage like i'd love to see foraging as more uh, a part of our culture but i think in an ideal world and what would probably be more likely is if it slowly started dripping into people's awareness and people slowly Mm -hmm. wanted to be more involved and and i think if it happened in that way it it would be very easy to make it a sustainable process because you can't i don't think that people want to protect or want to fight the things that they don't know or they don't love or they don't have a connection mm-hmm. with and i feel like the more people get into foraging the more they want to look after their wild spaces and the more wild spaces they want and obviously picking wildflowers seems really unsustainable because we can see people picking things out of the ground but you know clearing a whole area of woodland to make a field that we're going to grow spinach or lettuce on is incredibly Mm -hmm. unsustainable but we can't see it and we're you know those kind of like monocrop agricultural pieces of land don't allow for wildlife to flourish whereas when we're picking food from wild spaces we're just picking tiny little pieces from a huge array of diverse plant life that hosts so many bugs and creatures and and there are and there are lots of wildflowers that aren't edible that we don't want to pick that will sustain the birds um not the birds the bees and other pollinators and you know if i think if people go into foraging and really get into the spirit of foraging they're not going to want to pick all the flowers and destroy their wild spaces they they're going to want to look after them and they're going to want more of them so i do think a world kind of full of foragers would do a lot lot less damage than a world full of people that didn't like foraging. Yeah, i suppose if we were foraging we could let some of those monocrop fields go back to nature and that would provide exactly. a, you know, a huge 
amount of uh, forageable goods. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, there are just, I think, yeah, if it, if it happened in that way, there'd be so many kind of benefits to the environment and, you know, it would, it would be a bizarre change in the way we, (laughs) we ate food, (laughs) but it would also be, (laughs) it would also be kind of incredible to see because the responsibility would really be put back into our hands, which Mm. is something that happens when you're foraging. You can't just buy a packet of food and because it has an organic label on it you can sort of be like cool done my good deed for the day you know it's really you have to do the research and you have to think about it and you have to think is this a sustainable practice have I taken too much do I want to collect some wildflower seeds and give something back this this Mm -hmm. year you know so it it would be it would be very different but I think it it would be quite a lovely world if everyone got into foraging I think you're you're doing a great job of of inspiring people. By the way, so um, <laughs> what other benefits do you uh, do you see with foraging? Um, I th- I think it's I, I'm probably thinking about mental health. Um, I was wondering if you've you've sort of mm. got any any anecdotal evidence or or uh, stories about that. Well, from a personal point of view, I definitely think it's it's really beneficial for mental health Mm -hmm. I mean if I'm having kind of like a stressful day or or just not not feeling very in tune or feeling a bit kind of cloudy then going out and foraging is is a really lovely thing for me to do and it's it's very it is like a mindfulness practice really you know it's kind of like when you're just walking out in nature and you've got all the bird song and the and the fresh air that's kind of so calming and nourishing but then the actual action of picking food to take home and nourish yourself is adds a whole nother level and even just the you know when you're foraging you can't just grab fistfuls of of plants and shove them in your basket in a rush to get home and make dinner because you might have something tangled up in there you might have a bit of poison hemlock or a, a look-alike um leaf among the edible leaves so you really are forced to slow down and pick one leaf at a time and you know there's no kind of rushing your way through it it is a it is a slow process which kind of slows Mm. you down yeah and then triple checking your uh your your collections exactly it's gonna take some time exactly yeah (laughs) i think it's good especially uh yeah if you're going back to books and uh, reading like the the delving in and getting more knowledge uh into nature yeah. i think can only be beneficial to your health oh definitely definitely and i think so many people find it hard to slow down even on a walk in nature you know it's and we are hardwired to to be foragers you know as long as humans have been evolving we've been evolving to be foragers and that's why we love like games like pokemon go or you know we love like you know games where you have to find things and it is just you know when you go out foraging it's it's just a really pleasant experience because if your brain wasn't telling you it wasn't a pleasant experience your ancestors would have died (laughs) you know like we're (laughs) we're literally we (laughs) you know so we are foragers really and there is an aspect of of foraging that just feels you know it just feels right and it just feels kind of like you're going home and you it's comforting and and Mm -hmm. pleasant nice oh that that's made me feel very (laughs) very warm and happy 
Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank God. Um, so my my sort of big aim for this uh, podcast was to get people outside and and, and eating some weeds. Um, I'm, cool. I'm intending to put this out on Monday. So um, yeah. So what's hot right now? What 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 should people be getting? Well, I know we've been talking about nettles. So nettles are like perfect right now. So they're really big and fresh and green. It's best to pick nettles just before they start flowering. So they haven't gone into flower yet. So go and get your nettles. What happens when they go go into flower? Oh, you can still eat them, but in smaller quantities. So there's some evidence to show that they... Once they go into flower, they develop um, a chemical that when you eat them can cause like b- like buildups on your kidney. Okay. Um, so, I mean, when you get warnings like this, in general, you would have to eat like a bucket full of nettles every day for mm-hmm. the rest of the year to, to get any of that um, effect. But, um, you know, just as a another better safe than sorry thing, it is better to play Definitely. it safe and pick them before they flower. Um, so the other thing is sort of all the lovely wildflowers are coming out. Yeah, so you've got your dandelions and there are so many nice things you can do with those. So you can make dandelion fritters, dandelion honey, dandelion marmalade. You can pick off the petals and use them in kind of cakes and breads. And then what else have we got? So it's just coming towards the end of wild garlic and sort of three-cornered leek mm-hmm. season. So it's a really good time to start sort of making pestos or lacto-fermenting those things so you can enjoy them through the what summer. What is lacto-fermenting? Oh, lacto-fermenting is, um, it's basically just salt pickling. So you kind of rub your greens with salt and it releases all of the liquid and then you um, keep it in a jar and you push all your greens down under the liquid so they can ferment in there. Like a a kimchi or a sauerkraut? Yeah, similar, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then that will last you until Mm. the wild garlic comes back again. Anything else that people should be looking for? I think another thing that's coming up right now is um, a lot of the garden plants are coming into bloom. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of lilacs and a lot of wisteria, which is another edible flower that people don't know about. Um, But be careful with wisteria because the rest of the plant is quite toxic. So you can only eat those flowers. Um, And then the elderflower is about to come out, Mm, which is obviously a very exciting time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so elderflower champagne and... um, cordials and fritters and things should be on everyone's to-do list Mm -hmm. i really do recommend elderflower champagne as well because you only need sort of six to eight heads of elderflower to make you know 10 to 12 bottles and it's it's a really beautiful easy recipe as well yeah this year i i feel like last year i was so busy prepping uh for a build that i totally Mm. missed all the elderflowers oh no and this year i'm like just waiting like I've locked got, on yeah like, <laughs> just like I've, I've prepped all my jars I'm yeah I'm yeah. ready oh uh, good so, <laughs> what are you planning on doing with them uh definitely some wine um, nice I'm really into my wines at the moment um yeah. yeah I've got a few slow slow wines I've just bottled up and uh, lovely yeah, so definitely the wine and the fritters sound really good mm, the fritters are nice 
Yeah. Maybe you should make some dandelion honey to go with your fritters. Well, I sort of did that in making my dandelion wine. I realised that I've added all the ingredients together. And when I came to strain out all the petals, Mm. it was a real gloopy... It smelled exactly like honey. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah. because that is the first step in winemaking, isn't it? You do like a syrup. Yes, exactly. Um, But yeah, I couldn't believe how similar to honey it was. Oh, perfect. Did you save any or did you eat it all? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's all currently turning into wine. Oh, okay. okay. I I feel like maybe uh, my entry into foraging is is booze, which uh, (laughs) is people's. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not quite so wholesome. No, that's good, though. That's that's what you want to make. That's what you should make. There is actually a... um, a book called The Forager's Calendar, and I, I really like it. It's got some really good tips and really good recipes in there, but at the end of every plant, he's like, and if you want to, you can chuck it in some vodka. <laughs> so That's by the same guy he's who obviously, wrote booze, isn't it? Oh, sorry, Hedro. I think so, yeah. I can't, I can't actually remember. Is, is that John Wright as well? Oh, maybe it is. Um, yeah. And so, so what's, uh, for you, what's the, the, the highlight of The Foraging Calendar? Like what? What are you so excited for? Well, I do. I love mushroom season, mm-hmm. so I am with the masses on being really excited by wild mushrooms. Um, and the great thing about wild mushrooms is every year I find something that I right. don't know what it is. So there are so many species of of mushrooms. It's kind of like a whole new world of foraging every year. Um, so I'm really, really excited for mushroom season. That'll be great. Um, and then also I love um, birch sap season as well. So that ended kind of, it's only really for about three weeks every year and it is the most kind of magical process. And um, it's been kind of actually quite a, a, a spiritual process through most of our history. You know, there are areas in Russia that kind of still have ongoing laws from days gone by that you can't drink birch sap as a regular drink it must only be drunk in kind of um religious or spiritual ceremonies so it's a kind of yeah it's a really special one um but I've got to wait till next kind of February March for that to come back Mm. around I think that'll be the one next year that I'm I'm waiting for because the birch I think is my favorite tree so uh yeah and actually one of the my first uh again this is another booze story uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine we're all going to know you better <laughs> i prefer making the booze to drinking it i think but oh, yeah. anyway <laughs> but maybe i'm just saying that um but when i when i was out in canada i uh mm. i stayed with a guy who made uh birch sap i put it in a, a beer recipe yeah that's and, quite traditional uh, so it wasn't though, the main flavor but it was yeah, but it was so fresh. Like the taste yeah. was incredible. Uh-huh. So I'm, uh, I'm eager to to replicate that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when people ask what it tastes like because the main word is fresh. It's just mm. so fresh. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. they're like, that's not very. I still don't know what it tastes like, and I'm like, well, I don't know. It's just fresh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tastes like birch sap. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Well, um, where, where can people find out more about you? So I think I'm probably 
Yeah, most active on Instagram and Facebook. So I'm pretty easy to find just on Foraged by Fern. Um, And that's where I kind of post recipes and stories and take you out on kind of little virtual walks. And then if anyone is interested in coming to a kind of a real life walk, I'm based down in Sussex and I post all my events on Facebook and on my website as well, which is just foragedbyfern.com. Great. And well, yeah, as soon as those can happen again, I'm I'm excited to come down and join you. Yeah, I can't wait. It'll be great. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks again to Fern. That was a really great chat. I hope you all enjoyed that. So it it occurred to me afterwards, I was thinking about what Fern had said about Pokemon Go. I've heard that the icon on your phone that tells you how many new messages you've got is a little red dot. And that's because it's mimicking the, uh, the berries. And actually there's a small dopamine hit of, of seeing that red dot, uh, which is, you know, harks back to, the days of gathering berries and you know uh, that that was a, a vital thing to to survive to to see these berries and, and to, you know feel good about it so it's deeply linked with our uh, our heritage and now it's just used to um make sure we check our phones more and forget to go outside so don't do that you can set your phone to black and white uh to to beat that if that's a thing you're interested in i should say as well that the foragers calendar is indeed by John Wright. Uh, it's a fantastic book. He has also written uh, Hedgerow, which is part of the River Cottage series. Um, and he's also written a book called Booze, which is again part of the River Cottage series. Um, I recommend all of those. That's all for this episode. Look out for another one coming later this week. I hope you're all well and healthy. And do consider giving us a subscribe, and if you're listening on iTunes, a five-star feedback and a review goes great ways to helping us be more visible to more people. Stay healthy, everybody. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.